Pray with me. Father, send your spirit that we might know your arms of mercy wide open. In the name of your crucified and resurrected Son, our Lord. Amen. You may be seated. Imagine with me for a moment that you are with my eight-year-old self in a small, white-sided, holiness church that packed full could hold about 150 people total in a small town in southern Indiana where my dad was a pastor when I was young. Now watch with me as you look toward the back of the sanctuary and see one of my foster brothers entering in the church. He's a teenage kid with a battered past, a broken present, and a bleak future. He wears his hair kind of down in his face and it goes below his collar. And being that it's about 1990, he's entirely into skateboarding, baggy pants, Bart Simpson, and a bad attitude. As you look around, you can catch the eyes of some of the church folks. And you notice the slight, or maybe not so slight, disdain in their expressions. Maybe your expression is similar to theirs. My foster brother doesn't quite look right in this place. He's not dressed the way you would expect for church with his t-shirt and his baggy pants and his need of a haircut. And as you're watching, you start to realize, I bet the pastor is going to hear something about this after the service. Perhaps you've never been at a church like this one before. It's a kind of church where the people of the church were absolutely serious about following Jesus faithfully. And they were absolutely serious about their rules. In this church from my youth, if you didn't follow the community's codified rules for Christian life, the people were quite sure that you were not following Jesus. And even those who didn't claim to be following Jesus, yet who were coming to their church, especially if they were part of the pastor's family, had better look the right part. Apparently in the minds of these Christian folks, God worked in very specific, very predictable ways. And conforming to these predictable ways of God was precisely the point of the Christian life. After all, it was one of the most significant ways that a person demonstrated their Christian identity and the life change that comes as part of encountering and having faith in the risen and living Christ. These Christian folks knew Jesus. Yet they also seemed to know just how God was allowed to work. There was little room for the Spirit's surprise. Perhaps you know these kind of Christians. Perhaps you're one of them. Our scripture lesson in Acts 11 begins right after Peter has had a dramatic experience 
where his notion of how and with whom God would work had been turned on its head, or as my son occasionally says, had his mind blown. Peter's mind was blown by his theological, theological reality-shifting experience with Cornelius and the surprise of the gift of the Spirit being given to him and to his household. Word of Peter's experience with this Gentile man spread quickly to the other believers in Judea. So by the time Peter reached Jerusalem, the believers there were ready to ask him to explain what had happened and why he had done what he had done. Why, they asked, did you go to the uncircumcised men and eat with them? To understand this question, it's good to remember that Jesus' early followers, the first disciples, were Jews. They were people of the house of Israel, serving the God of Israel, and following the people of Israel's Messiah, Jesus. These early followers continued to live according to the law and pray in the temple, even as they proclaimed the message of the risen Christ to the people of Israel. For them, it was clear that Jesus stood in the line of Abraham and Moses and Joshua and David. Consequently, faithfulness to God's commands and pursuing holiness through the practices established by God for God's people mattered deeply. And faithfulness to the law mattered not simply because God commanded it, but also it mattered because these practices were a way of worshiping God, a way of avoiding idolatry, and a way of establishing the people's identity. In a land occupied by Roman oppressors who encouraged the mingling of religions and propagated all sorts of idolatry, faithful practice was all the more significant as an indication of true faith in the God of Israel and Jesus the Messiah. In response to their questions, Peter shared his story. He laid out an orderly and clear account of what had happened to him that led him to go to, Corn to Cornelius, to proclaim the good news of Jesus to him, to baptize him and his household, and finally, to fellowship and commune with him at the table. Because Peter realized what was at stake in his shifting understanding of God's invitation to all people, he gave a clear theological interpretation and rationale for each of the events along the way. He told the believers from Jerusalem about how he was praying when he had a vision of a sheet coming down from heaven with animals that had formerly been designated as clean and unclean intermingled together there. He heard the voice of God telling him to make a meal of those animals, and yet he resisted. This meal was not in keeping with the commands of the Lord that he knew. And so God's voice came a second time, saying, What God has made clean you must not call profane. Peter, the one who likes things in three, has this vision three times before three men came knocking at his door to invite him to go meet with Cornelius. And somewhat surprisingly, 
the Spirit of the Lord told Peter to go, and he obeyed. When Peter and his companions arrived, Cornelius told them that he had also had a vision during his prayer time, and that he knew that Peter had a message by which he and his household would be saved, would be welcomed into the fold of God. So Peter, as he had done so many times before with the people of Israel, he began sharing the message of Jesus. And as he did, the spirit of the Lord that had fallen on the believers in the upper room fell also on these Gentile believers, igniting the very same gifts of the spirit within them. They had not conformed to the law or to the practices of the people of Israel. Yet the spirit decided to dwell in them. As Peter recognized this, he remembered Jesus' teaching and heard it with new ears. You will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Peter realized that the net he was using for catching people was much wider than he had originally imagined. The you all who will be baptized included even those beyond the house of Israel and its practices. In realizing this, and in recognizing the presence and activity of God in these Gentile believers, Peter asks a truly profound question. If God gave them the same gift that he gave us, who was I that I could hinder God? It's the fifth Sunday of Easter. It's Eastertide. This is the season where we spend 50 days celebrating and remembering the joy of the resurrection. Of course, every Sunday all year long is a little resurrection remembrance. But this season is special. The joy, celebration, and praise stirred up by our remembering the resurrection on Easter Sunday is at a fever pitch during this season. And during Eastertide, we hear and tell and retell the stories of the earliest followers of Jesus as they grapple with the implications of the Spirit raising Jesus from the dead, even as we ourselves do the very same thing. We reflect on these stories in light of the glory that radiated from the empty tomb, where God claimed victory over sin and death and hell once and for all. So as we listen to this lesson from the book of Acts today in light of this Easter season, we can't but hear the emphasis on God's presence and action through the Spirit. You see, this lesson, like most scriptures, mind you, is primarily a story about God and the surprising work of the Spirit. In this story, we see and hear that God goes where we don't think God will go, and God does what we don't think God will do, even as God embraces those we think God will never embrace. When we hear this story in light of the surprising, world-altering work of God in Jesus' death and resurrection, 
we can't he help but hear the way the Spirit continued to surprise, perhaps even confound the early believers. The Spirit surprised those who hadn't yet discerned how grand and all-embracing God's activity in Jesus really was. This story is all about recognizing that God is wild and free and on the loose, claiming and being with whomever God chooses. It's a story about how because of Jesus' resurrection from the dead, we know that God moves how God will, regardless of what we think is proper or good or holy or pure or clean. We hear and see through this story that the Spirit of the Lord is untamable, on the loose and on the move for me and for you. The Spirit is busy surprising Christ followers, stirring things up, breaking convention in our own theological and practical strongholds. The Spirit is at work filling those who should not be filled, who cannot be filled, who ought not be filled, so that they, so that we, might be part of God's people. This story reminds us that we can't contain God. We can't control God. We can't limit God. God works how God will and waits for those who received the gift of repentance to catch up and to catch on. In recognizing God's freedom to will and to work as God pleases, we are called to look beyond the confines and the boundaries we've tried to fix around God and to watch for the surprising places the Spirit shows up to claim people as God's children. Like those early followers of Jesus, we're still trying to reckon with the Spirit's surprising movement that's beyond our control and often beyond our imaginations of what God really could and should and would be up to in the world. Like those early followers of Jesus, we're invited to be converted again and again away from our old ways of imagining God and ourselves. Perhaps as we consider the implications of following Jesus and serving this wild and free God. The characters in this story can be our guides to how we might respond along the way. Let's first consider Cornelius and the Gentiles to whom the Lord moved in grace and mercy. For anyone who finds themselves with Cornelius in this story, God throwing the doors of God's people wide open is so much good news. If you've ever felt like you were on the outside of God's people looking in, if you've ever believed that God's family was not for someone like you, if you've ever thought that you are excluded from God's people, then the truth that God shows no partiality is particularly good news for you today. If you've been told by a church, perhaps like the church of my youth, that you had to conform to some preconceived standard of appearance or lifestyle before God would welcome you in, 
then the truth that God's all-inclusive love includes you is good news for you today. Or perhaps you are made to believe that to be on the inside of God's family, you had to endorse a certain political party, be part of a specific class, or conform to a particular racialized way of being in the world. If so, then the truth that God's vision for God's people includes the essential word and. Jews and Greeks, slaves and free, male and female, all of this is good news for you and me, for all of us. In at least some way, we've all been Cornelius in this story. We've been the ones awaiting the spirit of the Lord and the gift of repentance that leads to life. We've been the ones who are not clean enough or pure enough or righteous enough or just enough or good enough or holy enough. And yet those whom God has made clean must not be called profane. We, like Cornelius, have needed to hear the message by which we are being saved. And we've needed the spirit to be given to us for us to have faith and life in Christ. It's all grace and so much joy that because of Jesus, there is room in God's people for us all. If for the first time or for the hundredth, you are recognizing yourself with Cornelius this morning, take a moment to give God thanks and praise for inviting you and including you. Let's now consider Peter and the Jerusalem believers. These followers of Jesus experienced the shock and surprise of God doing something they never expected God would do. For Peter, the surprising gift of the Spirit given to the Gentiles took a while for him to comprehend and understand. You see, Peter had been on a journey that began with him leaving his fishing boat and net in order to follow Jesus and fish for people. His journey continued from denying Jesus three times to proclaiming his love for Christ and his assurance that he would care for his flock three times. And now Peter's journey has included a vision where three times he has been shown that Jesus' flock includes more people than he had originally thought. What, pe what began for Peter with abandoning his old way of life has now moved to him abandoning the boundaries with which he's tried to box in God. Who was I, he says, that I could hinder God? Through the work of God, Peter moves from surprise to obedience to witness to remembrance to testimony. If you find that you're on a path of discovering anew how open God's arms are, and in whom and through whom the Spirit may actually be pleased to dwell, take heart. You're in good company. And from Peter's experience, we know this is a journey marked by God acting in freedom and waiting for God's people to catch up in order 
to understand. Follow Peter's lead on this. And watch for the surprising places the Spirit has shown up and been working long before you ever even arrived. Go and be with those you think the Lord may never use. And watch for what Jesus might just teach you there. And when you've done this, go and share your experience with others. For the believers who insisted on strict adherence to the law for full fellowship within the house of the Lord, the Spirit's surprising claim on those who did not follow the law was hard news to receive and required some questioning and explanation. Maybe you're there with them. The Jerusalem believers who were deeply concerned about faithfulness to, God's and God, to God and God's ways brought their questions to public light. And in the case of this story, they listened and they learned. They had clear and theological just, theologically justifiable questions that were being shaken up. And they needed to wrestle with the consequences of this. In grappling with the implications of Peter's story, they were at first driven to silence and finally to praise. Because God had invited so many more into the way that leads to life. And as it turns out, that's good news. If at times you found yourself like the church family of my youth, looking crossways at the person down the pew, or across the aisle, or on the street corner, wondering if the spirit that that person is claiming is the same spirit that has claimed you, you can learn from the discernment practices of those Jerusalem believers. They brought their questions to a trusted follower of Christ. They listened to his experience about the surprising work of the Spirit, and they were silent. Even as they pondered anew the mercies of the Lord. And when they began to comprehend what God in God's freedom was doing, they gave God praise. So imagine with me, for one more moment, another church setting. This time, it's a large stone building with beautiful stained glass windows that when pushed to capacity will squeeze in about 1,500 people. Someone, perhaps you, has just walked in the door looking not quite in the right place. Are you ready for the Spirit's surprise? <laughs> 